as we wrap up this series on resurrecting Jesus' love, I want you to think for a minute of what it would look like. Try to imagine for a minute what it would look like in our marriages, what it would look like in our parenting. Imagine what it might look like in our extended families and what it might look like in our schools and what it might look like in our places of employment and and offices and and even what it might look like in our churches if we indeed resurrected Jesus' love and loved one another as he has loved us. Can you begin to see what that might look like? We started seven weeks ago defining, working through this definition of what it would look like. What does it mean? What does it entail to resurrect Jesus' love? Well, Jesus' love starts with God, doesn't it? It says we love because he first loved us. So all everything else we say about love flows from God's love for us first. And God's love, to love like him, really gets messy. Loving like Jesus is not neat and clean and spick and span, but we see Jesus going into the homes of some of the most sinful people in his day, so much so that, that the religious people were offended by his guest list, dining with tax collectors and sinners, just socially sinful scum. And to resurrect Jesus' love also means that we take risk. Risks that are out of our comfort zones. Risks that are really scary to us. Risks that ignite fear in us. And we talked about those four friends who who had a paralegic and he couldn't get to Jesus. So their friends carried him on a mat, went upon a roof, cut a hole in the roof, and then lowered him down so he could be in the presence of Jesus. Talk about taking a risk. And to resurrect Jesus' love also means that we lower ourselves. That every day we wear a towel around our waist and wash one another's feet, that there is no level that we won't go beneath in serving our friends and neighbors. And resurrecting Jesus' love forgives freely. And how do we do that, right? It seems so hard. What do you mean forgive freely? Well, we first realized as we looked at Jesus' parable that that one person had a debt he could never pay off in a hundred lifetimes, and neither can we. We have a debt before God that we could never get close to reckoning with. But we don't have to because Jesus came for us and paid the price. And so because our sin with God is completely and fully paid for, even when we have petty change offenses with one another, we can cover those fully and freely because of the massive debt that we have with God that has been fully washed away. And we also looked at resurrecting Jesus' love sees people. This world shapes us. This world forms us to see people for their looks, to see people for their problems, to see people for their personalities. 
But we have a God, a Savior, who came and saw every single person as a masterpiece he had made in his image. And so to resurrect Jesus' love means that we too see only people whom God loves dearly and has redeemed. And do you want to keep going? Because <laughs> I know that this kind of love is difficult and it is tough. And perhaps the toughest is here at the end. Jesus tells us even to love our enemies. Let's look at his words to us again from Luke chapter 6. Jesus says in the context here is that if you're going to follow Jesus, expect ill treatment. So this is in the context of religious persecution and hardship. Jesus says this, But I say to you, disciples who hear me, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from the one who takes away your outer garment, do not withhold from him your inner tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. As you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. It's a whole new level of love, isn't it? Let's just break it down a little bit. I'm a visual orientated guy, a graphing type guy. So, so Jesus says, as you follow me, as you resurrect my love in your life, this is what it should look like. This is what it entails that our treatment on the left-hand side will respond with these kinds of actions on the right-hand side. That when we are hated in Jesus, we will do good. That when we receive cursing and foul language, we instead will use our tongues to bless and not curse or put down back. That when we receive mistreatment, we will actually pray for that person or persons and commend them to the hands and welfare of God. That when we are on the receiving end of physical abuse, that we literally offer the other one as well. Now, Jesus is not saying you're a doormat for the Lord, but picture is this, that if we are serving someone and we suffer physical mistreatment, that we willingly keep serving in that way, even if it means the reality that we might suffer again as we continue to serve. And if we are robbed, Jesus said, hey, give them our inner garment too. And if we are begged from that we give to this person or, or person, Jesus doesn't give any kind of clarification or qualifying list of who we give to he just says give and if something a property a possession is taken from us jesus says don't demand it back 
Those are some pretty tough words of Jesus, aren't they? And as you reflect on this list, I just have a couple questions for you. As you look it over, when was a time when this was easy for you? When was a time when the right-hand column was easy for you? And another question to think about, when was a time when the right-hand column was very, very hard for you? Just think about that for a few seconds now. When was it easy for you? And when was it especially hard for you to love someone mistreating? You know, one thing we will notice as we look at Jesus' words, love to Jesus is not just some warm, fuzzy, cuddly, little emotion and feeling. Ooh. But notice the verbs. That love for Jesus isn't hoping things are good for those who mistreat us, but it's actually helping them regardless of how we have been treated. And you can already see, not just today, but even in Jesus' day, how radical Jesus' love here is. Look at how love was portrayed a little bit in Jesus' day and age. Other ancient cultures, not always, but sometimes taught this. The Qumran community, where they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, had this one. It said, you have the right to hate religious foes. Or think of Hesiod or Aristotle who wrote, do good to others so they'll do good to you. Or Greek philosopher Lysias said, I consider it established that one should do harm to one's enemies and be of service to one's friends. And even in the intertestamental time, it says in Syriac chapter 12, give to the good person, <laughs> but help not the sinner. And then here we have Jesus who comes along and says, no, do good, bless, pray for, give them your other cheek too. Why not just give them your inner garment as well? Give and do not demand back. Even today, the world says quid pro quo, right? Scratch my back and I will scratch yours. But what's our real M.O.? What's our why for loving even our enemies and those who mistreat us for our faith? I'm reminded of an illustration that Pastor Timothy Keller uses in his book, Prodigal God. And in the, his book, Prodigal God, he tells about a farmer who grows the largest carrot he has ever grown. And so one day, the farmer takes this gigantic carrot to the court of the king. And he comes before the king, and he's like, King, I'm a farmer, 
uh, out on this piece of land. This is the largest carrot that I have ever grown. And I just want to give it to you as an expression of my love and loyalty. And the king is astonished by the genuineness of this man. And, and so right as the man is about to turn and, and walk away from the king's court, the king says, stop. Because I see that you are such a good farmer, I want to give you this plot of land next to yours so you can just farm it all. And the farmer left awed and praising God and giving joy. Well, the king had a nobleman who was in the court who saw that whole thing shake down. And he thought to himself, if that's what he got for a carrot, how much more would the king give with an even better gift? And so the nobleman went home, and the next day he, he came into the king's court with a beautiful black stallion. And he bowered, lowered himself, and he, he said to the king, Behold, this is the finest horse that I have ever bred. And king, in my love for you and loyalty to you, I just want to leave you with this stallion now. And the king smiled and said, Thank you, and said, You may go. And no one just stood there perplexed. Wait a minute, this isn't how this was supposed to go. And then the king explained. You see, the farmer came and he gave me the carrot. You came, but you gave yourself the horse. Friends, why do we love so radically and deeply? It is not for reciprocity. Jesus leaves no room in here for reciprocity. It's not about what we love so that we hope that maybe down the road they'll remember what we did and then they'll be good to us or some kind of good karma will, will come back around to us. No, Jesus leaves no room in there for that we love simply because that's what he has done. And notice in these words of Jesus, there's also no room for revenge. There's no room for retribution. There's no room for retaliation. But do good, bless, pray for, turn the other cheek, give your inner garment to, give however often they beg from you, and do not demand back. So... What's our M.O.? Why do we practice such radical, difficult love even to those who mistreat us for Jesus' sake? Well, Jesus goes on to explain in the next verses why we love like this. Would you please advance one slide to verse 35? Jesus said again, 
but love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, as your Father in heaven is merciful. What's our M.O.? Why do we love even those who are antagonistic towards us? Because that's the kind of God that we have. That's who our God is. In His very nature, we love and follow and worship a God who Himself is kind to the ungrateful. He is kind to the evil. And He is merciful to the very core of His being. And as we think again about all these characteristics that Jesus gives for us, do we not see Jesus embody all of these himself as he's making his way to the cross. He does good to people. He prays for them, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They don't just take his outer garment, but they even cast lots for Jesus' inner garment. And Jesus demands nothing back. That is why we love even our enemies, even to the ungrateful, even to evil people, even when they have no mercy, because that's who our God is. And he has given us this kind of good and mercy first. A few years ago in England, contractors realized that they made a little bit of a mistake. This is a 37-story building built in London that came to be called the walkie-talkie. Because of its shape, you know that it kind of comes in and then curves back out, but that also meant that those bright glass shields on the side not only reflected light downward, but also inward. And it didn't take long to realize the impact the shape and design was going to have on the properties and the pieces and the material things around it. In fact, when that sun hit those lights, those mirrors, and, and it was reflected downward and inward, it started to peel paint off neighboring buildings. And it even started to melt cars. Look at the damage it did to this black Jaguar. How about that coming out and making your day? It was so hot, so intense off the reflection of those mirrors and glass. And, and it got so hot and it focused the light so precisely that in an office building adjacent, it actually set their carpet on fire. Yeah, oops, I think we have a design flaw. <laughs> but I was thinking, what an image for the church. 
that rather than doing what this world says and just trying to be a better version of ourselves, what if we were committed to resurrecting His love and being better reflections of His love? What kind of good damage we could do in the world with that? That as we reflected His incredible, amazing love, it would shine so radical, so deep, so bright that not only would it melt hearts with the gospel of Jesus Christ, not only would it reshape homes and lives around us, but it would even start lives on fire for Jesus Christ. And not for any other reason than simply because this is who our God is is kind to the ungrateful and the evil and filled with mercy and grace. And friends, this kind of resurrected love is not just appropriate, but it's even possible because of the God who has loved us first and given us his very spirit. And so we as followers of Jesus go forth and we relate to all humanity as God does. And that is we mirror and we reflect and we resurrect his amazing love. I want you to think about that now in these questions that will be on your screen. When did someone reflect God's love to you in a very helpful way? And second, pushing a little further, what person, group, or even enemy is an opportunity, not an obstacle, is an opportunity for you to reflect Jesus' love in an actionable way. And as you talk about that and even pray about that, have some quiet time with God about that, please converse with each other and then we'll continue shortly with a song.